1: Awesome. I was away at a conference this weekend with a couple of our crew members who work behind the scenes, and uh, it's called the SALT Conference down in Nashville, Tennessee. And so we flew in yesterday having been inundated with information overload. Uh, This is a creative conference, actually, and the creative conference talks about technology, it talks about the artistic elements. Of ministry and those creatives who actually, many of them are behind the scenes that don't even make the stage and um, uh, and don't even hit the public eye. There's so much that goes into a Sunday morning worship event like this that most people don't understand, most people don't realize until the lighting isn't right, or until the microphone doesn't work right, or until we get feedback or something, and what does everybody do? They look at the sound guy. guy. There's more than just a sound guy, though. We have a lighting operator, and half of our lights are in a ship off the coast of California right now because we've got many bulbs that are out, which is why many... Some of you probably say, could you turn the lights up a little bit? Most of them are out. And so they are, you know, with, with COVID and manufacturing and all that, why am I telling you all this this morning? I realize that you guys don't know what goes into this. It's not just Brandon writing a sermon and researching it throughout the week. It's not just the worship team or the worship leader uh, compiling songs and pulling things together. Ministry is a lot more complicated and a lot more involved than most people realize when they step through the doors on a Sunday morning. You have teachers throughout the week that are preparing for lessons, and they're setting the stage through prayer for their classrooms and preparing their hearts to teach you. There are group leaders throughout the week that are pouring over the Scripture and the studies to breathe life into you as the word breathes life into them. There are those like Pete Kupas. And is that Lane or Bryce up there today? Who is that? I can't see. It's Lane. And, and who's on words today? Olivia! Olivia. And um, there's a lot of people that do a lot of things to prepare throughout the week to pull all of this together. So, having said that, would you say a word of thanks to those behind the scenes this morning? Thank you, guys. Also, having said that, being at this conference was at a large Baptist church uh, that seats about 5,000 and uh you 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 just then this is a technology conference too so they got all the bells and whistles right uh, and so the the lighting uh the the videography and all of that and you're just going kind of with your mouth agape the whole time and uh, as being being a pastor Uh, Yes, I I specialize in the word and preaching and teaching. That is my forte, but I'm standing there in the audience and I'm looking up at the lights and I'm checking out all the technology and it's just very dumbfounding all that goes into something like that. Um, and, And I realize that's all good and well, but without the word, it's just a concert. It's a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And everyone on that stage articulated that as well. A massive amount of talent and abilities. And, but they were mature enough to recognize all that is put on in this place, if it doesn't center on the Word and on worship of God, is nothing but a clanging cymbal or a noisy gong. Amen. Right? So this morning, the question before we get into—can I get can I, a little side note? I had pastors have these dreams, not that they're preaching to the congregation and they realize, oh gosh, I'm naked. You know, <laughs> that was a guffaw. <laughs> but the pastors have these dreams from time to time, and they—they they go. And I can't tell you how much I have dreams about ministry because it is my life, Jesus is my life, but ministry is a large component of my life, vocationally. Where I have these moments of panic in dreams, where the worst case scenario happens. And so I had a dream last night that woke me up from my sleep, and it was I was preaching, and one moment there was a decent sized crowd, and the next moment there were only two or three people. And I think it was because I had said last week We're going to be doing three weeks on giving. Please stick with me. Don't leave after this morning's service and saying, I'm not going back for two more weeks. And I think that was probably the case. So I'm glad to see some of you out there. I see it's a little bit sparser than normal. (laughs) So we may have had people who were just like, yeah, it's on giving. I'm not coming back. So as we get into our message today, I'm reading from a passage that. Actually is one of those gut-punch passages from Matthew 23. It is called "The Chapter of Woes to the Pharisees." But prior to that chapter is chapter 22. Jesus, in chapter 21, has made a triumphal entry into Jerusalem, what we call Palm Sunday coats and palm branches are laid down as he's entering the city they're singing hosanna hosanna or they're shouting that to the king of kings and the lord of lords because jesus has now amassed a popular crowd of groupies who are following him his inner 12 are there but he has gained in fame and popularity and he enters the city to all of this fanfare and guess what he does when he gets into town As a great and good rabbi always does, he begins to teach. Where does he teach? Where does Jesus go to teach? As a good Jewish rabbi, especially being in the holy city, he goes to the temple. Now, this is the second temple. The first temple built by Solomon had been destroyed by the Babylonians. It had been rebuilt under Cyrus and the Persian empire, and now... That is the temple that Jesus is in. And so he enters Jerusalem to this second temple. And he begins to go to the place where teaching is known to occur in great supply. And so he starts teaching. Well, chapter 22 is all about the Pharisees and the Sadducees questioning Jesus. If you look at the whole of chapter 22 of Matthew, he is really just answering or rebounding the, the rebuttals or the questions of the, the religious leaders of the day, okay? He goes into the belly of the beast, if you will. Judaism was a religious structure. They were a chosen people under a holy God through the lineage of a guy by the name of Abraham. Abraham's calling to become a great nation, a man whose wife was barren, and was unable to have children. And so it builds into this great group of people, these chosen people, who you can read their story from Genesis all the way to Malachi and, and find how they 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 did good at times, but then they stumbled. And they did other good things, and then they would, you know, really make a mess of things. And their story's not much unlike our own, is it? As the church and our culture. So this question this morning I want to ask you is, what is true? As we get into another sermon on giving, what is true? If if I were to ask you that question, come to you right now, stand before you, and I say, what is true? Not truth, what is true? What would you tell me? If I come to you and say, what is true? is true? Well, you would, you would probably want me to, say, to answer some questions for you. Well, what do you mean, what is true? Like, what is true in my life? What is true in my workplace? What is true in my family dynamic? What is true in my relationship status? What is true? What do you mean, Brandon? What is true? What is true in your life? What is false in your life? And where do you find yourself spending more time? In truth or in those things that are false? What have you come to realize is true and how have you come to realize that it is true? Is it just because you really want it to be or is it because it truly is true? What is true in your life? I didn't have the whole passage of Scripture. I only have, and this is really not common for me, to only have two verses of Scripture. So I decided I'm going to read the whole chapter anyway. So I'm turning to Matthew 23, and I want you to read along with me. I'm reading in the New Living Translation, as I always do. uh, And it will not be on the screen. It will be on the screen when I get to verse 23 and 24. They'll put it right up there as they follow along. But I'm going to start with verse 1. Because I want you to get the full impact of what's going on here and not just the giving section in the woes to the Pharisees, okay? I want you to get the big picture of what is actually true in this, in this what we call pericope or narrative. So, what I tell you, he's in the temple, he's teaching the Pharisees, Sadducees, what's the greatest commandment? Tell us about the resurrection of the dead. Go through, he was going through all of that. Uh, what about taxes? Somebody was uh, asking me if I'm going to hit on that. I'm not using uh, Matthew 22, render to Caesar which Caesar's and render to God which is God's. Okay? We're going to be looking at verse 23 and 24 of chapter 23. But after all of that, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, he'd had enough of the third degree from the Pharisees and Sadducees. Okay, get this, they've been questioning him. So Jesus, you said, Jesus, you said, well, Jesus, what about this? Well, Jesus, what about that? And they're asking him, what is true, Jesus? What is true? What is true? And imagine you have the elite of all of the religious sect of Judaism questioning you on what is true. And you are Jesus, who is the way, the, truth and the life okay and jesus at this point not necessarily pulling rank but putting things into a different realm of conversation he truly then starts to call out the pharisees and he says the teachers of the religious law and the pharisees are the official official interpreters of the law of moses Genesis through Deuteronomy. That's the law of Moses, okay? See, the Pharisees, the teachers of the religious law, they are the ones who are the official interpreters of that law. Okay? He's given them status and authority. Right? Do you understand what he's doing here? This is who they are. And he goes on to say... So practice and obey every, obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. (laughs) If this could be preached today, it is just as relevant as it was in Jesus' day. What about the Mark Driscolls, the Bill Hybels? The Ravi Zacharias's of our generation. Do everything they tell you to do, but do not follow their what? For they don't practice what they teach. That's the reason. They crush people with unbearable religious demands, and they never lift a finger to ease the burden. I try to be very conscientious about this because I realize when I preach, I preach on some heavy matters from time to time. But I hope that you leave this place not feeling beat up, but understanding there is hope. There is an answer to the burdens and the difficulties of life. I hope you don't feel that this pastor or religious leader heaps burdens without offering a hand of help into this place called hope and restoration and reconciliation I hope you don't just hear the negativity that comes through the burden of preaching, convicting messages, but rather that there is a solution to the difficulties of life when they come. Verse 5, everything they do is for show on their arm they wear these extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside and they wear robes with extra long tassels you've heard me talk about phylacteries these are the and you'll see this if you type in a phylactery make sure it's the word phylactery okay <laughs> And look up what that is. I, I did this in seventh grade. So I, I used to teach seventh grade Old Testament at Penn Christian Academy as of a couple of years ago. And and, and I would show them pictures of what phylacteries are. Because when we go through the book of of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, there's some discussion on that. Bind them to your forehead and to 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 your arms, to your hands. And so you'll see these leather straps with these boxes. And inside of those boxes on the forehead or the arms are called phylacteries. Those boxes are called phylacteries. What's inside of the box? Scripture. Bind them to your forehead and to your hands, to your arms. Why? The idea behind that is to let every thought be filtered through God's word and God's law. To let every action you do be filtered through scripture and God's purposes for you. And he says these religious leaders, they want to show off. They don't want just a pair of shoes from Walmart. They want the new, what, Air Force Ones? What, what are what are the new Nikes that are like uh, like eight hundred or nine hundred bucks or more? I don't know. I don't buy those kind of things, right? They they don't want just the the everyday over the counter things. They want you to know who they are, so they wear the extra big boxes, not the little dinky ones. They get the ones that are special, handcrafted with designs. And they walk around with the box on their forehead that is three times as large as anybody else's. Now this doesn't sound much of a, like much of a fashion statement. But in that day and age, in the religious culture, you were really saying something. I'm really religious. I'm really close to God. And the tassels on their robes, the tassels meant Something. You see, they had to wear these tassels. I'm not going to go into the great detail about this. It's another sermon for another time. Suffice it to say, those tassels were significant to their belief in God and the law of Moses. And so they wore extra long tassels. And they loved to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. Oh, they love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. Oh, rabbi, there comes rabbi. Look at the rabbi, y'all. Not yuns. Sorry. It was just in Tennessee, so. What does Jesus go on to say? Don't let anyone call you rabbi or rabbi for you have only one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. What is Jesus saying in that one statement? Is there something more? Or is that pretty easy to read surface surface level? Don't let anyone call you teacher, for you have only one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. Have you, have you known some people that get hung up on titles? get your doctorate, or you you earn ordination status in a religious uh, denomination and now you are the most reverend, right? Or we put the little uh, PhDs at the end of our Uh, our names and all that. I mean, it's not that any of that's bad. If you were a medical doctor, you have worked hard. I'm not saying anything about that, but it's the idea behind this. Do you understand what they were doing? The religious leaders of Jesus' day, not unlike many elites of our day and age within the religious structure, demand honor and respect. They demand the title I'm going to force you to honor me by calling me by my title, because I love it. I remember when I first came on staff here over nine years ago, what do you want us to call you? By my given name would be nice, Brandon. You can call me Brandon, but do you want us to call you pastor or reverend? No, Brandon's fine and this isn't a a false sense of, of modesty or anything like that the truth is I don't care about the titles or the degrees the degrees and the titles and all of that is second to what my calling is But there are those that really promote that. What Jesus is saying is these religious leaders, their motives are all bent out of shape. See, they demand this honor and this respect when honor and respect really cannot be demanded. It is given to respectful people and to honorable people. If you have to demand respect and honor, do you think you're very respectful or honorable? Probably not. If you have to expect it and demand it, you're probably not as honorable and respectable as you think you are. But who are those that are esteemed very highly in our culture truly? It's truly the humble person, the one who is, who is unassuming, but truly lives what they, what, they, what they believe and believes what they live. They live by what is true in their lives because what is true in their lives is a foundational piece that can never be shaken or broken. What's he go on to say? Everything they do is for show. Oh, it took me back to the beginning. I was preaching too much and my device went off and it resets to the very beginning. What what verse was I? Nine. Okay, thank you. So don't only one call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father, quote, for only God in heaven is your father. Ooh, that's a tough one. Because I, you know, we all have fathers, but those fathers in those day and ages were Abbas. Okay, if we want to really get technical, you would call your dad... Your physical father, your biological father, Abba, but what Jesus is referring to is Father, the Heavenly Father. Okay, God of all gods, Yahweh. So he said, "Don't let anyone, uh, and don't address anyone here on earth as Father, for only God in heaven is your Father." Here's what's really interesting. I've I've been on staff in the South, in the Midwest. When I moved to Pennsylvania, there is such a high concentration of Catholicism and Lutheranism and all of that. I have been called Father, Father. That was an amazing mass you just gave. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not Catholic, nor am I a priest. I'm married and have kids. You know, I'm. I'm in good shape. I think. I don't know. I could be wrong on that, but I'm. Don't call me Father, because I'm not that. I and mean, what do you do here? What's the intent? The purpose? Well, he's saying there is one Father, over all, and He is the Heavenly Father. We call Yahweh. Okay, that the Jewish people dare not even speak or utter that word. There's only one God in heaven, and He is your Father. And and don't let anyone call you teacher, for you have only one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Oh, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, and you Pharisees. Hypocrites! Exclamation point. For you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, but you won't even go in yourselves. And you don't let others enter either. This sounds like the older son in Luke chapter 15, doesn't it? The prodigal son has come home after squandering his inheritance and wishing his father was dead, but he's realized the error of his ways and realizes, if I just go back home, at least there's food enough to eat, even as a servant. And he comes home, the dad sees him a long way off, and he calls to get the fatted calf ready, and he runs out to meet his son, and he puts the royal robe of the household on him and restores him by putting the signet ring back on his finger. And there's a party going on later in the day to celebrate the return of the prodigal when the older son comes home from the fields or doing what he needed to necessarily be doing and work for his father and his father's estate. And he's like, there's a party going on. What's happening? And he gets closer and he realizes from the servants that are outside of the house, oh, your brother come, Your brother has come home and we're celebrating And instead of going in, what does he do? Have you ever seen people do this, even in church? I do, because I see all your all's faces every Sunday. You're not none of it. I'm not, I'm not going to call you Ips, uh, Dave uh, Forbes. No, I'm just kidding. I love you, buddy. No, you're always engaged. I'm just, it's, uh, it's usually Pete Koopas, but um, I love you, buddy. He's sitting there. Not like the thinker. Hmm. He's sitting there with a grouchy look and a horrible disposition. Have you've seen these people? (laughs) Right? And you don't know. Should I approach them? What should I do here? I don't want to get their wrath father finds out in Luke 15 that the older son has come back home and he's outside, he won't come in. And the dad comes out and he says, buddy, what's going on? Oh yeah, the son of yours. The son of yours? He's done everything to make a mockery of you, to, to really mar your reputation, much less his own and what do you do? When you should have been putting him in shackles and chains and throwing him in the dungeon, you restore him? Are you kidding me? I've worked for you my whole life. I've never demanded one thing from you. I've done everything you told me to as a good son should. And what do you do? You don't even give me as much as a goat to cook for my friends? What kind of dad are you? You see, the older brother's truth was skewed by falsehoods and impressions and expectations that were unrealistic and not of the kingdom, but rather of this world. You would think the younger son, who was more worldly in his pursuits, would be the one that would be damned to hell. But what does Jesus say in Matthew 23? You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces and you won't even go in yourselves. Oh, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law. You Pharisees, you hypocrites. Imagine Jesus in the temple after having been pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed by the Pharisees to try to trip him up. He's finally saying, alright, enough! You really want to know the truth? You're the problem! You're saying that I'm the problem, or that I'm the one that's, that's messing everything up. Let me pull the curtain back so you can see very clearly what's going on here. What you accuse me of, you are guilty of. For you cross land and sea to make one convert. Oh, if just one person, one soul is saved, it's all worth it. Have you heard that? And you're probably mad at me right now for saying that. And then you turn that person into twice a child of hell as you are ouch <laughs> this is G- these are red letters this isn't gentle jesus meek and mild this is jesus with gloves off not disrespectful not dishonorable but truthful because he had handled them as gently as he could up to that point. And he said, you really want to know? All right? You, you make people believe you are all that. And you're willing to travel great distances to do this and that for your religious structure and you convert people into Judaism but you make them twice a person of hell as you are does that sound like an offensive statement (laughs) see Jesus would not be able to be hired as a senior pastor in most of our churches today because he just said a curse word. And so we get hung up on some of these menial issues like Pharisees did, and we miss the truth. Do, Do you catch this? Well, he meant like literal hell, like hellfire and brimstone. Yes, he did, exactly. There's no question about it. But we would get hung up on his tenor and his tone more than we would the words he's speaking. Yeah? Okay. Just Are you still with me? Yeah. Okay. And then he goes on to say, and I wish I could give you the equivalent words in Greek because he is laying them out. If I had time, that would maybe be another sermon series for another time is to break down these phrases and the words that Jesus is using against the Pharisees. He's literally calling them names He's inciting anger. Blind guides, he says. What sorrow awaits you? For you say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple, but that it's binding to swear by the gold in the temple. Where were their motives? Oh, the temple's just a building, but the gold, that's where it's at. Prosperity gospel stuff, strike thoughts there. Blind fools, exclamation, I'm tired of yelling for a moment. Which is more important, the gold in the temple or the temple that makes the gold sacred? (sighs) See, the temple was holy, Because God had made it holy. And what does the word holy mean? To be set apart. And so what was that temple for? For worship of the Father and for prayer. For teaching, for understanding. But what were the Pharisees more intrigued with? The gold. So we'll swear by the gold because it's worth more. We won't swear by the temple that makes the gold holy. Because it's set apart, which makes the gold in the temple set apart for God's purposes. No, we'll we'll swear by the smaller things rather than the most important things. And you say to swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding. How blind? For which is more important, the gift on the altar? Or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So what are the gifts on the altar? What was the altar? An altar of sacrifice. So what was the gift that the Jewish people would bring and the priests would take and present on the altar on behalf of the sins of the people for forgiveness of those sins? It were animals. And so they were putting more trust in the animal than they were In the altar on which it was placed, which God had said is the place of holiness where sins are forgiven. Which is more important? The altar on which the gift is placed or the gift itself? How blind? Which is more important, the altar or the gift on the altar? When you swear by the altar, you're swearing by it and everything on it. But when you swear by the temple... Or, excuse me, and when you swear by the temple, you're swearing by it and God who lives in it. And when you swear by heaven, you are swearing by the throne of God and by God who sits on the throne. See, they would make these compacts or these contractual agreements in their day. And when they were truly being serious about something, they would swear by these things to show that they were serious and that that compact was trustworthy to make these agreements by. Jesus isn't saying you should do these things. He's just pointing out the error of their ways because in in the Sermon on the Mount, what does he say? He he doesn't say to swear by anything. What What does he tell the people to do? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. What Jesus is saying is you should be such an honorable and holy person that when you say yes, People believe it, and when you say no, people believe it. That's a good sermon for another time. Is are you a person of your word? What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law? You Pharisees, you hypocrites! I mean, you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. Your versions of Scripture may say mint, dill, and cumin, or some version of that sort. But you ignore the most important aspects of the law, which are justice, mercy, and faith. Almost sounds like Malachi, doesn't it? Or Micah, excuse me. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. You should tithe, yes, But don't neglect the more important things. You blind guides, you strain out your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Do you catch what he's saying there? If you don't know much about the dietary laws of the Jewish people, that probably makes no sense to you other than big and small. Was a gnat an unclean thing in the Jewish dietary laws? Yes, was a camel. Yes. So he's taking two unclean things and he's saying, you're straining out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. The idea behind this is you're worried about the most minuscule, tiniest, insignificant things. Okay, okay, that's all good and well, but you're swallowing a camel. What's he mean by that? Sure, tithe 10%. That's a good thing. But... Don't do it to the neglect, and my device just went off again. Don't do it to the neglect of the more weightier matters that are significant in the kingdom of God. And what is it? Justice, mercy, and faith, faithfulness. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites? You're more careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but on the inside you're filthy, you're full of greed and self-indulgence. See, the idea is we want the outside to look good. You remember the, you wear the larger phylacteries and the longer tassels? You want the outside to look good, but what's on the inside is putrid. You're more concerned about the way you look to everybody else. When in all reality, it's what's in the heart that matters. Because what's in the heart determines the actions of the individual. You may be able to fool people most of the time by your outward appearance, but somebody who really gets close to you can see through that ruse. You're full of greed and self indulgence, you blind Pharisee. First wash the inside of the cup. And the dish, and then the outside will become clean, too. Now, I know I don't wash dishes often. I'm the cook of the house, and so we, we you know, do the flip-flop and reverse of things. And um, the outside, it's nice for the outside to be clean, too. Like, I found a cup yesterday. This isn't my wife's fault. It's one of my kids. But I found my—it's probably Cameron. I'm just kidding. I love you. You're my favorite today. So— um, <laughs> I love you. Um, I found like a crusty booger or something. It's probably just a piece of food on the outside of the cup I was drinking out of last night. I'd gotten, I got a glass of milk for a piece of pie I was having, excellent pie. And I'm taking a drink, and I'm like, "Ooh, what's that?" And Raylan says, "Oh, Dad, that looks like a crusty booger." <laughs> like, okay, so yeah, it's important to clean the outside too, but not to the neglect of the inside, right? All right, I digress. Sorry. Oh, goodness, sorry. I'm going to go to lunch after this. Um, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, for you and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled with bones, dead people's bones on the inside, and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. What sorrow awaits the teachers, you teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you build tombs for the prophets your ancestors killed, and you decorate the monuments of the godly people your ancestors destroyed. And then you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would have never joined them in killing the prophets. Oh, yes, you would have. That's what Jesus is saying. What? You got this all backwards. (laughs) What is wrong with you? He's saying. You would have joined right in and beat the good people to a pulp because you're doing it to me. Who is the way, the truth, and the life? What is true in your life? This is not the sermon I'd set out to preach. I haven't even gotten to my notes, and I'm not going to today, so tech team is not their fault. You want to know the fill in the blanks? If you are type A, come to see me later. But I thought it was vastly more important to get the context of this scripture. You see, yes, it was on giving, but those two verses are just a hodgepodge, or in a mixture and a hodgepodge of a bigger story. You see, what he's getting at is motive. What he's getting at is the intent of the heart. Are you here because you're putting on a show? Do you pretend to be holy in the public eye or at your place of work? Or do people even know who you are? You would have joined them in killing the prophets, he said. But in saying that, you testify against yourselves that you are indeed the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. So go ahead and finish what your ancestors started, you snakes, you sons of vipers. We call this brood of vipers in the King James Version. I've read several different, not, not this week, but in the past on that passage. It's almost like he's cursing at them. This is such strong, Not this isn't, okay, for parents, I'm not saying it's okay for your kids to curse or for you to curse, all right? We have a certain level of curse words in our society that are really those things you shouldn't be uttering and saying these foolish words. But Jesus is using such strong language here, it is very close to not just calling them out, but laying them out with the verbiage he's using here. You sons of vipers. What is what is our Don't say it. <laughs> How will you escape hell? He wasn't talking to the drunkards. He wasn't talking to the tax collectors. To women caught in the act of adultery. Who is he talking to? The religious leaders. You say, Brandon, well, that's you. I'm not in that camp. No, here's the thing. This is where you're wrong. (laughs) Yes, I am a vocational minister. That is my calling. But are you any less of a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ than I am just because you don't stand on the stage? A couple of you believe that. Say it one more time. Are any of you less minister qualified uh, to preach and teach the gospel than someone like me who stands on the stage? You're killing me. I mean, third time's a charm. Are any of you less a minister of the gospel of Christ just because you don't stand on the stage like a pastor or a preacher? No. Somebody said yes. Who was it? Corbin. You're going to hell. Ha- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you brood a viper. I'm just... Corbin, I love you, buddy. Let's talk after service about your salvation. I love you, buddy. Therefore, sorry, just jump back in real quick. We'll close it up here. I'm sending you prophets and wise men and teachers of the religious law, but you will kill some by crucifixion. See, Jesus is saying, I've got some wise men and prophets of my own. And I'm sending them among you. But here's the sad truth of the matter. You won't realize it. You'll do just like your ancestors did to the prophets of old. God's prophets of old. You'll crucify some of them. You'll kill them off. And you'll flog others with whips in your synagogues. Chasing them from city to city. And as a result, you'll be held responsible for the murder of all godly people of all time, from the murder of the righteous Abel to the murder of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you killed in the temple between the sanctuary and the altar. I tell you the truth, this judgment will fall on this very generation. And then in this passage, it says, Jesus grieves over Jerusalem as this passage closes out. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem! The city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I've wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you would not let me. And now look at your house. It's abandoned. It's des- How many of our churches are abandoned and Desolate. And I'm not talking about buildings. What is true in your life? And it's what is true in your life what determines your actions and how you live. For I tell you this, you will never see me again until you say, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And that is not a capitalized one, O-N-E. Do you catch that? Blessings on the one who comes in the name of Yahweh. As our worship team comes forward today. When It all boils down to anything. It's not going to be a bunch of bank accounts, your money, how much money you give to the church. See, Jesus wasn't saying you shouldn't give money. He's saying, yeah, you should have done that. But what are your motives? What is the intent of your heart? You, you, you Sure, sure. It, it's, it's not about titles or respect. It's rather that you should be honorable and respectable. The words from your lips should never be, a demand of honor and respect. You see, of all people who could have called rank, Jesus did not. Philippians chapter 2, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, Paul gives us this great description of really the heart and the nature of who Jesus is. As he's telling the Philippian church Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being very Yahweh, did not consider equality with Yahweh as something to be attained, but instead, what does he do? He took on human flesh and he humbled himself. Not just to become one of us, but he humbled himself to the point of even death. Death on a cross, mind you. Again, the question is, what is true? How would you answer that question? Because on that question hinges the eternity of your soul. There is no greater stake in life than your stake in the truth. And again, like a broken record, I say it all the time, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And you can fight against that. You can kick against that. You can scream against that. But if your heart doesn't believe it, it doesn't matter what you do on the outside. Nothing is going to change. You want to stop going back to the bottle, the hit? Do you want to go, stop going back to anger as, as a resource in your repertoire to deal with difficulties? You want to stop going to depression? It's, again, I'm not anti-medication, but do you want to stop going back to those places, those pig troughs, to get into the slop and to wallow in the mud? What is true in your life? And what is false? And how do you want to live? choice is yours. Father, in this place, I know you're glorified by the preaching of your word, the singing of songs, by the prayerful witness of believers in this place. But I also know, God, that there's times where we struggle uh, against being whitewashed tombs. We we wrestle against truly living a life that is true and good. When the reality is that's the only way to live in a world like this. God, we are inundated with falsehoods on a daily basis, many of them so convincing because the falsehoods can speak so confident. But falsehoods are still falsehoods no matter how confidently they're spoken or how convincingly they're stated. Transform us from the inside out today, Lord, I pray. Amen. Would you stand with us?
0: Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Maine is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.